Welcome to Trap Talks. My name is Sushant. I am an e-commerce entrepreneur and each week we bring an inspiring entrepreneur or business person from e-commerce, retail or tech industries to help you discover how to start and grow your own e-commerce business. Thanks for spending some time with me today and let's get started. Hey there, entrepreneurs. My name is Sushant and welcome to Trep Talks. This is the show where I interview successful e-commerce entrepreneurs, business executives and thought leaders, and ask them questions about their business story and also dive deep into some of the strategies and tactics that they have used to start and grow their businesses. And today I'm really excited to welcome Dean Salakas to the show. Dean is the co-founder and chief party dude at The Party People. The Party People is Australia's largest party store selling balloons, decorations, costumes, novelties, confectionery, theme party wear, and anything else anyone could possibly want for a party. And their goal really is to help people have the best parties of their dreams. And today I'm going to ask Dean a few questions about his entrepreneurial journey and some of the strategies and tactics that he has used to start and grow his business. So Dean, thank you so much for joining me today at Trip Talks. Really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Sushan. So a uh, very interesting store. I've never interviewed uh, someone who's, uh, you know, who, who's, who owns a party store. So can you share a little bit about your background story? Um, what motivated you to get start, you know, get involved with this kind of a business? And, you know, what were you doing before starting this business and how really you got the idea and what, what was your motivation to, to start a business? Yeah, um, it's a long story actually, but I'll try to keep it short. So my mum started the business, she was a clown. Um, She used to do kids parties as an entertainer and she um, decided to open up a kids party store. And um, yeah, I mean, the business grew from there and um, we launched online in 1998. Uh, Well, she she decided to build the store in 98. I think it launched early 99. And um, we became Australia's first party store. We also launched with Click and Collect, which I believe we were the first Australian business to have Click and Collect. And from there, and I mean, I, I was in high school at the time. My mum asked me to work out how to do this thing. So I worked with some uni students and we, we built the site. Um, after after school, I went to university. And then after university, I went and worked at, um, at a supermarket chain, Woolworths. Uh, in logistics, I uh, didn't really have much interest in getting into the family business, to be honest. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to create my own life for myself and um, love the challenge. So I just wanted to get out there and do my own thing. Um, yeah, and then my parents decided to sell uh, in 2006 and they had a, a buyer on the table and my brother and I decided to buy the business um, because we didn't want to see it. We thought it was a good opportunity. Didn't want to, thought it was going to sell too cheap, to be honest, as well. And um, yeah, we just saw a real gap and we thought our complementary skill sets would, would work really well, which is kind of how it's played out. We 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 made that decision pretty quickly. We we bought the business in 2007 and we we changed a lot pretty much overnight. And um, then we saw massive growth and, um, you know, we, we, we focused on the digital and, and, and grew the e-commerce side of the business. And um, yeah, we've had a lot of fun along the way, made a lot of mistakes um but you know we've, we've kept growing and um you know very happy with where the business is today and, and we continue to grow so it seems like this is this this was a family business and 
So you were not involved before buying this business at all. Like you were doing your own thing, your you and your brother. And so when you said that you bought this purchase uh, business from your parents, like can you share a little bit around that? You know, did you have to spend your own money, and was it kind of like a significant investment? Um, yeah, so we bought it. Um, we we had worked in the business our whole life. I guess that's probably one thing I would say. Like even when I was when I went off and worked at Woolies, like you know, we helped the family out. It, it was very much a family business, and when they needed us, we were there. You know, and quite often I'd work on weekends for extra money, especially when I was at uni and and things like that. So yeah, I definitely still my brother and I still sort of uh, always always worked in the business. I guess. Um, yeah, when we bought it, we had to get a loan to, to do that. And, um, and you know, my parents were very, uh, you know, very sort of big on not giving us stuff um, because that sets the wrong motivation. So um, they did make us pay for it, um, which is fair enough. I mean, they earned their retirement. So I think um, that, that that's, that's you know, they just didn't want to give us a freebie and us not appreciate something. So um, we did get a loan and, and bought it and, um and, and pay that off pretty quickly actually we, we we did really well off straight away as soon as we took over we had we were running on around 300 growth in that first couple of years was was really good so right now is your business completely e-commerce or do you have like retail stores as well uh, we got two bricks and mortar stores um two large format stores um and i believe you're in canada so it'd probably be similar to a party city um yeah i've been to lots of party city stores we definitely are on the larger end of what a party city would be. Um, I know they've got a range of store sizes, but we would definitely be a, a large size. It's hard, I forget the conversion metrics between feet and uh, and and meters, but you know our our store, one of our stores is a thousand square meters, and the other is eighteen hundred square meters. So as you can imagine, they're quite large stores, and um, you know they they do quite well. And we and we pick from those stores, so we have our e-commerce operation as well, and they draw that stock from those physical retail outlets. Um, can you talk a little bit about the products that you sell and and how does your business really help uh, people in, in terms of, uh, you know, getting the party supplies and, and really organizing their parties and things like that? Yeah, look, I guess the key thing like there is, like I mentioned, that there was a large format store. We, we have all the products you could need under one roof. I mean, uh, similar to Canada in Australia, you can um, you can go to a discount store, you can go to a supermarket, you can go to a, a department store essentially and get your party supplies. Um, we go deep on the category, so you know if you want to go to the, the the local discount store to get some frozen party supplies, you might find at best fifty SKUs, maybe a hundred. Um, with us, you'll find you know three four hundred SKUs in that one category, and um, you know if you're really going to have a party where you want to get everything all at once. And I mean, we're dealing with a category where it's low value per item. Um, so people don't want to be shopping around for every little bit of piece they want for their party. They want to get it all under one roof, get it all done. Um, I mean, you have different different types of buying behavior. You have that person who just wants to get it all done. You have the person who um, is a bit lazy and just can't be bothered and just want, doesn't care what, the, what it costs. Just, just want to get it done as easy as possible. Um, and then you've got that person who wants it to be, you know, an Instagram worthy party. And again, by having the depth of range, we give them the options they need to be able to create that experience for their, you know, for their friends and family. Uh, in terms of um, the items themselves, I mean, it seems like the so the business was started by your mom uh, before uh, before you. Uh, 
to me, it seems like, you know, she probably created most of the supply chain processes around, you know, where, you know, she buys the products from and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, where do you purchase the product from to manage your costs? Is it mostly really China, you know, Southeast Asian countries? And how has your processes changed over time? Are you also manufacturing something on your own? Uh, look, when we took over the business, it was literally my parents who worked in the store with one employee. Um, so it was a very small operation, very, very small. And there were no systems and processes, that's for sure. Um, you know, everything was done on just just how they did it. There was no there was no procedure manuals or anything like that. Um, and in terms of sourcing, everything was sourced locally when we took over. Uh, again, too small, no scale to be able to um, draw from overseas. But definitely when we took over, um, you know, we, we, we now I think about 40 employees. Um, so, you know, we definitely have management structures in place. We have systems and processes which are documented and people understand how they work. We have every, most things are automated to some extent. So we spent a lot of time. I'm a business. So when I said earlier, I went and worked for Woolworths, I worked as a business analyst. I was in uh, process improvement, essentially. Um and you know, I brought those skills into the business, and and you know, worked on the the business itself. My brother's job uh, as my business partner, so my brother and I are business partners, and his job was operations. So his job was to keep the business running, while my job was to, you know, improve things and find better ways of doing things. Like you mentioned there about sourcing as well, um, looking at importing where it's appropriate and how we fund and manage that, how we un unload containers and all those anything that's a new process. That fell under my um, my purview, I guess, to make sure that as we we do these things, that the business was able to to manage them and get through them. So early two thousand, mid two thousand, that was kind of really the beginning, I would say, almost of e commerce, because at that time, yep. you know, there weren't e commerce platforms. There wasn't really a lot of you know social media it. was just just getting started out. Um, can you talk a little bit about whose foresight it was to to bet on e-commerce at that time? And how have you um, experienced e-commerce evolve, you know, through the last 15, 20 years? And how, you know, what changes have you made in your e-commerce process and businesses to really uh, capitalize on on, on this uh, big, uh, big trend? Yeah, so with the... Um... So we, we launched in 99. Back then, like you said, there was no platform. There, there wasn't even really much technology around for it. It was, you know, we didn't, there was no e-commerce people. There were IT people that knew how to code things, um, which is what who I worked with. I worked with a bunch of two IT students that built me something that could be seen on the web, essentially. Um, that, that's, that's, that's how it worked. In 2003, I, mean, I left this part out of my story, but we actually became Google Australia's first advertiser. Um, I did a unit, while I was at university, I was doing my, my final year. And in that final year, I did a bunch of, you know, assignments on the business, uh, you know, thesis and stuff like that. And um, I looked specifically at the, the process improvement. Um, and, um you know, with that, Google just happened to be launching in Australia in 2003, and uh, we became their first advertiser. Um, Bing came, I think, a couple of years later, and we also became their first advertiser um, in Australia. So we we kind of got on the bandwagon early, I guess, for everything. When, you know, as e-commerce grew, we were kind of already there. Um, 
back back when we first launched, you know, obviously in two th- in ninety nine, we were getting one order a month, I think, or something like that, and um, you know, it really wasn't not much happening. But as, as e commerce grew, we were kind of um, there to soak up that growth, and um, you know, a lot of people talk about us and how we've innovated and um, you know that sort of stuff, and um, you know, we um. Sorry, if you just, I'm just going to pause it for a second. Is that all right? Okay. Yeah, no worries. Hey, Maya, I'm in an interview. I'm in an interview. Is that all right if we pause it? Okay, you're able to cut that out? Sure, sure. Yeah, no worries. So do you want, do you want me to pause it? Or? No, no, no worries. No worries. Uh, no, do you no, want no, me to? Sorry, my wife was there and plates were clanging and I was like, <laughs> oh, man. No worries, no worries. Shall we, shall we continue? Yeah? Yeah, do you want to ask the question again and I'll, um, I'll answer Sure, it? sure. Um, so, you know, early 2000s was really the beginning of e-commerce, right? And yeah. it's, it's, it's such, it's, it's so, it's so interesting that, you know, looking back now, you know, if somebody is looking at e-commerce now, it obviously it makes sense. Yes. You know, e-commerce the way of the future, but at back then, you know, when the internet bubble was, you know, bursting and, um, a lot of people probably thought that, you know, internet was some sort of, uh, you know, fad that maybe go, would go away or, you know, what, what is e-commerce? Why would someone want to pay online? Um, at that time, I mean, you bet on the, on the e-commerce, right? And, and That's you, right, you yeah. kind of got started on this. So can you sh- share a little bit about your thought process on, you know, was it at that time, you know, whose foresight was it to say that, you know, online, we can sell online, this could be another channel and, you know, who took that bet and you know how have you evolved since then yeah so as you i don't know how it was in uh, in canada but in australia um there was a thing we had called yellow pages which was a directory people used to find businesses um you know that that was where you just spent all your money that, that that's how it worked back then in the 80s and 90s um you advertised in the directory and um yeah my mum's idea was to launch a website you know her the thought process was 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 quite simple. Like you said, today it seems very obvious, but at the time her thought process was just look, there's people around Australia that don't have access to the products we have. So mm-hmm. let's 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 make it visible to them and give them a way of of buying those products. We often did mail orders and things like that. So that's kind of part of it. Um, you know, people, you know, she was a working mum, obviously running the business um while looking after two kids she didn't have time to go shopping and she also thought there would be a lot of other people in a similar boat um that would be working full-time have no time to 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 buy the stuff they needed and um needed to do it after hours needed to do it at night uh, when we weren't open so um that was a simple sort of uh thought process around why to launch an online business and it still applies today really um it, it, it nothing's changed there in terms of why we did it and the convenience for the customer um and obviously, we were able to exploit our, our sales as a result. I mean, like, you know, back then, there were no platforms. There were no, um, you know, there were just like two IT, you know, when we built it, we just, um, my mum my said, yeah, you figure it out. There's some IT students here that know how to do IT stuff. Can you build something that people can see on the World Wide Web? Um, and we did uh, for about 10 grand, which which at the time was crazy. Like you mentioned, mm. like back then, prices, after the dot-com just crashed, no one bought anything online when dot-com took off in the you know in the 80s and 90s and um and then we decided to do it after that crash um and 
yeah, I mean, I, I think my mum was was sort of very innovative in her, in her thoughts to do that. And then when we, um, you know, when we started looking at it, you know, obviously everything we had to invent, there were no platforms. So we had to build, like, I mean, I was a business analyst at Woolworths and I you know, was very savvy with Excel and macros and things like that. So I built my own, you know, shipping software out of Excel. I, I built my own inventory software out of Access, Microsoft Access and, you know, all these things back then I had to build myself. Now we've got a bunch of plugins today that, that, that do it way better than I did it. But, you know, the very basics of getting us off the ground and getting an MVP, a viral, you know, proposition there was, um, you know, it was essentially me building stuff myself uh, in in tools like Excel and Microsoft Access. Are you right now selling mostly in Australia or uh, have you expanded in any other country or are you planning to expand it or just, you know, just focus on one market and really just uh, capitalize on that. Yeah, pretty much that we're focusing on Australia. I mean, we had a, a little foray into international. Um, we found it very difficult because, you know, we have competitive advantage here. We have scale, we have focus. Um, we found the international markets at this stage were a, a distraction for us because, you know, going into other markets would be, you know, we, Canada is an example. We did go into Canada a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's very hard. We're competing with Party City and we're not on the ground. There they are. Um, they have efficiencies. We don't. Um, so to be able to compete with them, we really don't have a um, a factor that makes us stand out from the local options, um, which would give people, you know, a reason to buy from us other than us advertising better than them, which doesn't really make sense. We, you know, we need to have a better value proposition for the local market to make it worth you know getting the synergies and the the value out of our advertising in the local market so we pulled away from that we focus on australia and um you know we're focusing on doing what we want and we think there's still more market here to grow with so um that's the focus for now okay um so your value proposition in the australian market so you said number one you know you kind of have the wider range of selection so if somebody could yeah. go to your store and they can get basically everything they want so they don't have to shop around. That's kind of a big value proposition. Um, now you have a certain scale. So I'm assuming, you know, your uh, supply chain processes and um, I mean, are you buying from China now? Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that gives you a certain edge in terms of managing costs and things like that. Um, yeah, but, yeah, that does, yeah. But, but given that you started in early, you know, 2000s and so forth, now, I mean, these kind of products are probably, you know, there are so many competitors, even in the Australian market that are available selling it. You know, people can go on probably Amazon Australia and buy these kind of things easily. Um, how has that changed your business in terms of, you know, your own value proposition, being competitive in the marketplace? What else do you have to do in order to continue to bring new customers and hold the customers that you, uh, that you have? Yeah, look, it's a good question. I, I, we probably don't have all day. The answer, the answer would take me all day to explain it, I guess, because it's very complicated in terms of managing the, you know, the dynamic between the customer need and and identifying what that is. And it it sounds simple enough, but it's it's really not. You know, we've figured out what our customer is and where they sit, and it's not as simple as saying anyone who has a party. To some extent, I would say, yeah, that's that's our market, but you know, we really identify that that person who is, you know, is going, who needs access to a wide range, who is less price conscious, but more interested in service and, and range. Um, and, you know, we've, we've kind of narrowed down what exactly that means in terms of what we do. And it's probably too hard to explain on the, here without getting real technical, but 
that's kind of what we've narrowed down is what is that what is, what is our what is the, the market and how are we going to fit to that market and it's not everyone you know the if the customer wants to have a party and they want a real budget party and um, want to save some money that's not us we don't run sales uh, we don't run sales periods at all um because that's not our customer so we don't do mm. it um you know conversely i mean some customers you know will, will throw a party that's you know hundreds of thousands of dollars that's not us that's not our customer either you know if they want that kind of a service um mm. we really found out what we focus on and we we optimize for that and you know if there's there is a lot of competitors in the market in australia and they're all selling similar products to us um i don't think anyone has the breadth of range we have um because it's very difficult to do as well but um you know the the competitors in the market have struggled to find how we make our business model work and it's almost impossible for me to explain that on this this podcast but it's very hard to make the numbers all work you know i mean everyone who goes into our industry starts off by saying we're going to be the biggest and the best um then they realize there's cost implications of that you know mm-hmm. of, of providing that and it makes it very hard to be profitable if you don't if you don't have a, your systems and processes very well drilled and you become very efficient and like you mentioned earlier about importing and um, you really have to have the margins, you know, you have to really have the business efficiency worked out and the gross margins worked out um, and, and being optimized to then be able to compete on a level. So I'd say at the moment, you know, we're, we're ahead of our competition so far that they struggle to compete with us because they can't get to where we are. I mean, anyone can do what we're doing, um, but to get there is very, very difficult and they would have to invest a lot of money and lose a lot of money to get there. Um, and, and it's not all like, you know, I mean, they could do what we're doing and, and offer the same type of range, but then they've got to have the systems and processes. You know, my brother and I have the skill sets that that complement each other to help us get there. It's very hard to get a business that has all the right, you know, the right things working to get it to where it needs to go. Um, if most I don't know if I your... explained that well enough. It's a very complicated question to answer. No, I, th- I think I understand. I mean, it... To me, it, it seems like it's more of the first mover advantage, right? So you got into the e-commerce market and, and your mom started this business, which was kind of, you know, maybe one of a kind in Australia at that time or, or something like that. And and of course, over time, as you grow, you achieve that, you know, the benefits of scale and, you know, the experience and, and you know, you build up the customer base over time. So I think that's the, um, that kind of all accumulates uh, to 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 create that, you know, uh, competitive advantage in the marketplace, which is difficult to beat in, in this kind of a commodity-based business. Yeah, I guess, I guess, like, just adding to that, I guess to keep it simple, you're right. First mover is, is very key for us. Um, you know, I, I do speak a lot at events and I, you know, I always talk about how there's, you know, there's three ways to win online and it's being first, being smarter or cheating. Um, now, cheating is no, not a good way to go. You get burnt. Being smart is pretty hard, even for us. I mean, I like to think we're pretty smart, but then, you know, you're competing against large, I'm, I'm competing in party against all my department stores that have teams of people that are the best out of the best. Um, you know, I'm competing against very smart people, so it's pretty hard to be smart. What we do have is we're a small, medium-sized business that can be agile and be first. And that's our competitive advantage, particularly in retail. Um, being adaptive is very, very important. The market changed very quickly. We just had COVID. You know, we were able to adapt to that at lightning speed um, and extract the most out of that situation. And that's another story for another time. But, you know, we we went from being 98% down to beating prior year through COVID, um, through some, you know, innovative 
adaptations during that period. And I think that's a key is, is in business, you need to be flexible and adaptive. And if, if you can do that, you definitely can um, extract value. And like you mentioned, you know, we, we've had 20, what is it, since uh, 2098, we've had 25 years online to learn and adapt. Even if someone replicated our business today, um, they don't have, and, and they were very smart, they don't have the experience to execute. Um, a, a perfect example, and I'm probably getting a bit deep here, but, you know, Squid Games came out last year and um, we bet real big on it. We went real, real deep. You know, we went real big on the range, real big on volume. And, you know, probably the average layperson would have thought we've been crazy with the the numbers we were talking in terms of getting stock. But we just, we've been in the business 25 years. We'd seen these types of movies, releases, you know, come out and what they'd done. And we were able to apply that experience to, to make a, you know, a forecast on something that's almost impossible to forecast. Um, and we got it pretty right in the end. And, you know, Squid Game was huge and Halloween came and everyone was buying Squid Games, everything. And, um, and and we were the only one in Australia that had the stock. And I think, you know, experience is, is, is also quite a, a major factor of, of why we are where we are. I wonder how AI is going to change that. You know, the yes, whole scenario yes. that you... You know, the whole scenario that you just described is almost like, you know, what right now when people manage a business like this, it's almost like an intuition that you have, right? So you can see some trends in the market and things like that. But when yeah. AI is there and AI, of course, has access to, let's say, the, the, the all the internet and the news and, and AI can recognize these trends on a very uh, early levels, um, and and that's somehow connected to e-commerce and supply chain processes. I wonder how that's going <laughs> to automate. You know, yeah, I recognize the trends and you know orders the product and puts the product on on the store. And it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be very interesting. Are you using AI in your business uh, at all, or are, have you started playing with some sort of uh, AI technology in your business uh, already? We are, um, we are experimenting and I probably don't want to talk too much about the secrets uh, that we're currently sort of cutting edge stuff that we're doing at the moment, but definitely AI is something that we are looking at quite heavily. I mean, one, one caveat I would say is that I don't, not for the short to medium term, I don't see, you know, like what you mentioned that, that AI would be automating the process. So, you know, I don't think we'd be saying to AI, hey, figure out the trend and order the stock and make it happen. Mm. I don't see us getting to that point because AI can make mistakes based on the data, you know, it's, it's based on the data input and data inputs need some, you know, level of filtering. And I think at the moment only a human can do that um, and make that emotional decision. Um, so I think at the moment, you know, definitely we're not seeing a risk of, you know, automating that sort of stuff. But I definitely think like AI is a massive opportunity for any business in any category. It's about, you know, I mean, anything like we've seen, you know, our business has innovated all the way along the journey and um, we just see change as an opportunity, not as a problem. So I think AI can be seen as a bit of a, a risk for a lot of businesses, but it should also be seen as the opportunity that needs to be tackled very quickly, get an understanding of it and get an understanding of how you can best use it to compete. Because, yeah, I really don't know where it's going to go. It's really hard to see how this is all going to play out with AI because, you know, I'm using it and yeah, I might be first mover, but when everyone else is using it the same way I'm using it, then what level of advantage do I have? I mean, just as a simple example, you know, if I get AI to create a web page for me, but everyone does that, then we're all going to have the same web page or, 
you know, it's all going to be, it's, it's not, even if we, if, even if we can get AI to write all those web pages different and everyone gets a different web page, it's still going to be optimized. So how is, you know, if, if we're all writing SEO web pages using AI, how is Google going to outrank one versus the other when, you know, we've, we're all writing perfectly optimized content, you know? So I, I'm really not sure how it's all going to play out, but definitely at the moment, since everyone's not using it, um, I think those businesses that are using it will get, uh, massive gains early on and potentially first mover advantage in, in certain areas. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very early on, still early on. And uh, un yeah, it's, it's difficult to predict what's going to happen. Uh, you know, maybe it will lead, lead to the perfect competition where, you know, uh, every consumer gets the best pricing and the best product for them that they want. Um, and maybe that's going to level playing feet for uh, you know for for a lot of businesses. I mean, it's certainly not going to help the race to the bottom um, on pricing. That's for sure, um, which is what we're seeing um, more of here in Australia. With you know we've got you know Amazon here now, and um, marketplaces are having a, a major impact on the retail market. Um, and more recently, I mean, I think uh, America and North America are much more mature than us in that in that department with Amazon. Um, Amazon's only been here, I don't know, a couple of years now, and they really haven't made huge inroads. Uh, eBay's still our number one marketplace here in Australia. So, um, you know, I think AI is going to really mess with that whole model, and that's going to be in the next frontier. And I really, yeah, I think you're right. We're getting to the point of consumers having perfect information um and and how that impacts business i'm really not 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 thinking that far ahead at the moment but it's definitely some it's where it's going for sure do you sell on marketplaces at all like um, amazon uh, ebay etc yes we do yep 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 and it's a it's a reasonable market for us as well okay um can you talk a little bit about your marketing i know uh, at the beginning you talked a little bit about you know, you were the first advertiser on Google and Bing and so forth. And now with more and more competitors in the marketplace, how has your marketing evolved? And um, how has your cost of customer acquisition changed over time? And, and what is working now as opposed to what was working in the past? Yeah, tough question again. I could talk all day. Since we've been online so long, it's changed so much over the last 20 years. But look, when we launched online in Google in 2003, um, they it was one cent a click. You know, I mean, people listening to this will freak out when they hear that. Um, so it really wasn't difficult to, to market. It was like market to everything we could, even things we didn't sell, we'd market to. It was so cheap. Um, so back then it was very different. You know, now we're looking at, much much higher cost to, to advertise it's a saturated market um many competitors willing to lose money to to get market share um so it makes it very difficult i mean our approach has always been more of one of consistency and of, of, of a, a business model that's profitable um so we don't chase volume we chase profit and so you know we have a formula that works for us in terms of our advertising budget and spending and conversion rates and you know we do all the math to make sure that everything's paying a, a profit um which i can tell for sure that some competitors in my category are not and as a result um yeah they might be getting the volume but they also i mean the, the obvious the obvious um 
you have a statistic is when you see how often they appear in the top position, those those guys that advertise in the top position, as an example, like you, they might appear in the top position, but they only appear there 5% of the time because their budget caps out, uh, which means it's not profitable. You know, yeah. where for us, we appear in that average of around position three, I would say, um, but we appear like 95, 98% of the time. Um, and that's just because our formula works. So we're just happy with position three. I, I look, I'd love to be position one on every every uh, keyword that we advertise on or every social campaign we run. But at the end of the day, it's not profitable. So we don't want to we don't want to do that. Um, so we're happy to sit in the position that that actually is profitable. And that's I think have been another sort of key to our longevity is that we've always run a profitable business and always chased profit over. You know, we just have no desire to chase sales. Only only a desire to chase profit. Um, yeah, I think that's that's one thing. In terms of how it's changed, look, obviously, like over the time, social media um, has become a, a bit of a factor. Look, for me, it's a bit easier to say this as I'm bigger, but a startup would have a little bit more of a challenge negotiating the difference between building a brand versus building, um, you know, focusing on conversion. Um, you know, we've we when we first started growing online, our focus was conversion only. Um, you know, more recently, we do focus a little bit more on brand hits. I'm, you know, here doing this podcast with you as one example, but, um, you know, we definitely focus on brand and, and some money goes towards the brand because there is a uh, an understanding of a, you know, a payback over time. So, look, it's very, again, very difficult question because marketing is a very complicated area today than it was when there was only yellow pages for us 30 years ago. But, um, yeah, I mean, we advertise in a lot of places. And, again, it's just about making sure that everything meets that formula, whether it's email marketing or social media or even just marketplaces. I look at marketplaces more as an advertising, more of a marketing play than a um, than, than a volume play, you know, and I think, you know, keeping that in mind and making sure that everything hits that formula. I mean, marketplaces, back to that, like, I mean, it costs us, you know, a percentage to give the marketplace money to advertise their mm -hmm. product, which means that, to me, that's an advertising spend to pay their fee. Um so, you know, just, just making sure that everything is profitable is, is, is a key factor in terms of marketing for us. And, and we're, we're in a lot of places, um, whether it be social, search, email marketing, I don't know what else there is. We're doing a few other things, marketplaces. Um, yeah, I mean, when, it, when, it, when you talk social, it's, again, a very deep topic, whether it's posting on groups, whether it's how you manage your page and what you're posting on your pages, um, all those things are slightly separate factors. Um, in in the last 25 years, I'm sure, I mean, you probably do have a certain level of brand recognition in the Australian market. Uh, do you do some sort of a study to kind of measure uh, uh, that brand recognition and, and uh, what benefit it brings to your business? Because I'm sure, you know, people who recognize your brand, you know, that kind of saves your marketing dollar, right? So yeah. They see your ad and they know, yes, there's a certain trust there, there's a certain uh, brand value, so they can click on your uh, website and come and shop. Um, what What yeah, do you I mean, do? Definitely, to... um, we, don't, we don't do anything to measure it. Um, we don't look out for it. I mean, we've been around so long and in Australia, we're quite well known. Um, I, look, it's very rare I mention someone where I'm from and they don't know the company. It, it almost never happens here in Australia. Um, most people say, oh, I've heard of you guys before. Even if they don't use us or haven't used us, they still have heard of it. Um, we, we do a lot of PR, a lot of 
brand marketing, if you want to call it. Um, so, I mean, we appeared on Shark Tank uh, quite a few, Shark Tank season one here in Australia as an example, and a few million people in the country saw that, which is given we only 30 million people is quite a large percentage of the population has seen me on Shark Tank. So, yeah, we've we've, we've got some pretty good um, brand recognition here in the local market. So what was the rationale behind going to Shark Tank? Was it really purely <laughs> just for the views or how did you how did you end up uh, on Shark Tank? Yeah, no, that was good. That was good fun. I mean, we, we we were interested in raising at the time. In hindsight, we probably wouldn't have been able to raise, but at the time, you know, the, the rationale was to to try to raise some money, and um, we received an offer and we turned it down because we didn't think it was good enough. But, um, you know, I guess, yeah, we, look as a mark. Uh, look, I, I mean, definitely there were some thoughts that there would be some 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 marketing out of it for sure. I didn't realize it would be as big as it was. Um, you know, over a million people saw the first run of the, the that it went, and then it, it re-ran three times, and now it's still up there on YouTube. Um, it's still getting views by the day, so it's um, yeah, it's been it's, it was a great marketing exercise as well as you know we thought we'd raise capital. I'd say in hindsight, we we, we wouldn't have got it done with what we we're expecting from the show, but you know we were a bit naive at that point. It was quite many years ago. Awesome. Um... Can you tell, talk a little bit about your team? I know you mentioned that, you know, when your parents were running the business, they only had one person. Um, and you shared, you know, you and your your brother kind of uh, managed different areas of business operations versus you're more of a business person. Um, how has your team evolved and um, what part, what area of the or your, of your team is, you know, it's, it's, it's the biggest. Is it really the marketing? Is it operations? Is it, um, you know, the store management? Yeah, definitely the operations, which is what my brother manages, is the biggest component of the team. He's got, you know, I think something like 30-something of the 40 staff within the company report somewhere through to him. Um, he has he has one person that reports to him technically, but obviously he's, he's quite heavily involved in what happens below that. So, um yeah, that's that's the bigger part of the team is operations. I'm support, if you want to call it that. I'm everything that's not operations is the easiest way to explain it. Um, so you know, finance, marketing, um, e-commerce, that that growth, that all sort of comes through me. Um, so the division of responsibility is quite quite clear. Um, yeah, obviously with a bigger team, with with my team, I, they report directly to me each of them. So. Um, none of my team really manage anyone, so I manage them directly. I mean, you know, my, my my accounting and finance team have some people under them, but you know, otherwise most people report directly to me. So I have a more, more direct contact with my team. With my brother in operations, you know, he's an operations manager. He has store managers. Um, underneath that is the you know the people that execute, and um, yeah, it's very different, very different set of management that that happens between us and and team building. Um, very different type of team. I mean, I've got a support team, which are, if you want to call it head office type team, which, you know, half of them work from home. Some of them work from different stores on different days. It's a very different, flexible, um, remote style of um, team I have. Um, and I, I see some regularly. I see some hardly at all. Um, like my e-commerce guy, I hardly see him. I may see him once a year, once a year, maybe twice a year. Um but, you know, and then my buyer and my inventory manager I see almost every week. So, you know, it's a very different style for me. 
with him, you know, he's managing operations, so it's much more um, hands-on with the the senior team, and then you know they're they're rolling stuff out to the local team, and then he's trying to get out there and see what's actually happening and try to make sure he understands what's happening from a business point of view, so that when I come up with these fun projects that I come up with um, from a growth perspective, that he's you know got his finger on the pulse and can help make sure that I don't destroy the business in the process of trying to grow it, essentially. I think that's a that's a good partnership. Um, you know, someone who can actually see the business at a higher level, and someone who is actually managing the business. Um, is your marketing is it in house? I mean, it seems like if you only have one person, or are you working with like agencies who kind of execute your marketing? Uh, no, it's all in house. Um, I mean, with with people like Google and things like that, you do have account managers at Google. Um, so, you know, we do have some support from the service provider. Um, but yeah, it's all in-house at the moment. Something we've looked uh, at it, agency, but uh, I just I just I just struggle with the agency model, to be honest, in how you 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 pay someone that you're trying to be competitive on something that's already marginally squeezed in terms of out, outcome. Um, then to have to pay someone in between is very difficult. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, agency that's like for some businesses it works, some for other businesses it doesn't. It, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a very challenging uh, relationship and topic. Um, in terms of your, I mean, e-commerce business, the a big challenge is, of course, the fulfillment aspect of it, right? Like, it's like especially with the, pro- the kind of products that you're selling, which is kind of like the low value kind of items, right? Are you, um, I'm assuming you charge the customer uh, the shipping expenses, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about your uh, fulfillment and logistics and um, and how does everything run uh, in your business? It's a good question you're asking. Look, it's very it's very much a moving target right now. Um, we currently fulfill in-house from store and we also fulfill from a 3PL. Um, we fulfill our website volume from store because our average order basket is quite big. Um, you know, a customer comes in and they're having a frozen party or a Disney princess party or whatever it is. They buy, you know, an average of 15 items and they put in their basket um, and they check out for an average of about $100. Um, with uh, Marketplace, the average basket is about 1 to 1.5 or something like that, depending on the marketplace. So the average person basically buys one thing. Um, and, you know, we're talking about orders that are averaging around 20 to $30. Um, very hard to make money for us with our, the way we operate. Um, so as we see it, you know, we, we, we've got a, a level of competitive advantage to be able to pick large baskets, but um, we don't have the sophisticated, yeah, we can't beat an automated warehouse um, to pick individual SKUs for individual orders. So, you know, we leave that to the 3PL because they're, they're not, they're, what they charge us is less than what we can do in-house. Um, but, you know, we figured out that we can pick in-house much more efficiently than a 3PL will charge us, so we keep that volume. Um, but it is changing. We are looking at, at you know, some automation and processes that we can bring in-house um, to make us competitive with a 3PL in terms of cost to pick. Uh, and if that is the case, then we will we'll bring it in-house because obviously from a, owning the customer and the service point of view, we as much as we can have in-house, the better. Do you uh, in this business? Is there um, do you have a returns policy, and do you is there a big return? Um, no, not, not much. No, 
No, no very no. small. Yeah, very small. So, so you do charge the customer for the shipping for the most part, right? We do. We don't have a free shipping option, actually, which you know, okay. some people think is crazy. But in my industry, it um it seems to work work for us. Again, like I mentioned, you know, we chase profit, not not sales. So, I mean, you definitely having free shipping would increase our sales. But I I can't do the math on how free shipping would be a profitable decision for us, given how much you know. If, as an example, I think if, you, if we give up free shipping. You know, for every hundred thousand dollars of shipping we recover, you know, we still have to generate a million dollars more in sales, um, which I just don't, I, I, I just can't see that happening. As often, we'd have to basically double our sales to offer free shipping, and I just, I don't see that being the outcome. Okay. Um, given that now you have a certain level of skill um, and you know customer base, do you ever think about um diversifying your business or adding another you know uh another website with a different you know kind of um adjacent product offering or maybe adding an- other categories um how do you see your your business evolving in the future and you know let's say five years down the road do you still want to continue focusing on the same exact products same business and really just getting more customers in the Australian um, market or do you, are you thinking about like uh, diversifying or changing your business in any way? Yeah, it's a challenging question. I'd say, look, we're always looking at the way we change our business, 100%. You know, it's, it's, evol- it's an evolving business at the moment. And it's really hard to say. It's, very, it's a very much a subjective decision that we make ongoing on different aspects of the business, whether they're core business or peripheral and whether we need to focus so you know often we're asking ourselves the question about whether we should be um, cutting something because we should be focusing more on other parts of our business and um, you know as as entrepreneurs we're very guilty of new ideas being exciting and we us you know being excited and pumped and having the desire to do them but then you know given a few days and a few conversations we start realizing that they potentially and, and given our experience of We've tried so many things over the years that, you know, the question always comes up, is this going to be a distraction for us? And um, if the answer is yes, like a a great example is um, pop-up stores. We did a Halloween pop-up store with Halloween Alley there in Canada. Um, We did a JV with them and and did some pop-up stores here in Australia. They they were good and they were were a fantastic business for us and they they were working really well. Um, COVID, to be honest, killed that business um because we we just got the model right just before COVID and then COVID came along and um meant that we couldn't do it for three years um now we're at the stage whether we want to ask ourselves do we want to restart that business model and um the amount of energy and strategic um distraction that it would create for now the answer is no um as much as we would really like to and I know we would benefit and we would make money from that venture the answer is no because it's just a distraction to the core business where, where there's a huge, huge uh, you know, a big opportunity at lower risk. So, um, yeah, it's very hard to decide when, when not to do new things. And, and yeah, I really don't have a, have a scientific answer for you on how we make those decisions. It's more about just going through the motions of, you know, first of all, do we think this is a great idea? And quite often the answer is always yes. How big, how, how much of a good idea? And then usually we start looking at the risks and, um, that's where it really gets sorted out of 
you know, oh, look, is this something we really, or, or how, how close to core business it is. You know, we often look at businesses that are completely outside our, you know, our industry and go, well, we can make that work. We could do that, but it's just a distraction and it's not core business. So we, we don't, we don't go there, you know, it's a really hard one to answer that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, identifying, you know, when you have something working, it's difficult to think about uh, risk and, you know, new things. So yeah, it's definitely difficult. Um, I mean, you constantly got to ask yourself the question of what's, 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 you know, new things and testing and i mean we're trying an augmented reality mirror um coming up so you know we've ditched the the concept of a pop-up store which obviously we've tried and we, we know works for us and still not deciding not to do it versus for some reason we're trying this augmented reality mirror um where people can try on costumes in a shopping center and then our e-commerce will fulfill um you know, fulfill that order. So they stand in front of the mirror, they try on their costumes just by waving their hands and virtually tries it on them, um, on oh, the mirror. Some people might've seen these augmented reality mirrors, but um, I believe it's a global first to be uh, e-commerce enabled. So the mirror, you can check out on the mirror um, and then we'll ship the item to your home. Once you get home from the mall, it should be there, hopefully, depending on how long you're at the mall. Um you know, wow. and we're trying something like that. That's a, that's a, you know, that's kind of a distraction in a way. But at the same time, we see huge upside, huge scale opportunity, um, great synergy with the the core business because really it's an e-commerce backend in terms of fulfillment. Um, so really, it's just about deploying mirrors with a separate team. Um, so we're giving it a go. I don't know. Will it work? Will it not? I think it will. I think it's pretty cool. But you know, we don't know until we try and see if the business model stacks up and see what the economics are of this um, project. And yeah, so this Halloween, we will be we'll be going ahead with that and giving it a trial in one shopping center. So that'll be pretty fun. Maybe we'll touch base after that. I'll give you an update. Definitely. I mean, that sounds pretty cool, to be honest. Um, mm. I know we're kind of running out of time. Uh, every entrepreneur has, I, I wanted to ask you very quickly. So your website, are you running on Shopify now or is it still kind of your custom developed site? No, we've probably redeveloped two, maybe three times over the years. Um, that still is a very old site that you see there. As much as I say that, it's an old Magento One site. Oh, wow. Magento okay. One Magento One Enterprise, which is uh, no longer supported. So we are looking to migrate um, sometime soon to a, to some sort of new platform. I'm not really sure where we'll end up. We're definitely looking at platforms like Shopify Plus, Magento 2, BigCommerce, I'd say they're the... They're the front runners at the moment in terms of the ones we're looking at. Okay, cool. Um, in every entrepreneur's journey, there's always mistakes made, lessons learned. Uh, you know, during your, you know, running your business, growing your business. I mean, of course, you have uh, more than twenty five years experience with this business. What has been maybe? I mean, I'm sure there's. So many things you can talk about, but twenty-five what comes years of mistakes. There's, there's definitely you can say it. You can say it. There is twenty-five years of mistakes. So definitely there is. So <laughs> what what kind of? I mean, let's 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 talk about it in this way. Like your own journey as an entrepreneur or a business person, let's say, right? Um, I mean, you've had to grow over time to be able to, you know, uh, run a growing business. What have you? Uh, what have you had to? What kind of growing experience as an entrepreneur you have had to go through? That could be people management. That could be you know anything. Uh, that you know, 
that was kind of a learning experience that was that you were not doing before, but now you had to evolve or learn in order to become the next next level of entrepreneur. Yeah, look, I'd say um, two, I'll probably go through two separate things personally and in the business. From from a business point of view, probably the biggest learning experience we 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 had was to plan. I know it sounds so fundamental, but um, forecasting and planning is something we didn't do to start with. And I don't think many small businesses really do. They just say, look, I'll work it out as I go. That's an entrepreneur. That's how your entrepreneurial brain thinks, right? It's just like, oh, I'll figure it out. You know, <laughs> I'll figure it out mm-hmm. as I go. That's how your brain works as an entrepreneur. And you've really got to get out of that mindset. And you've got to start saying, okay, where is this business going? Uh, what do I need in the future? And have I got it? Uh, what are the risks? What happens if we do better than I expected, which is what happened to us in the early days when we were doing 300% growth. We weren't ready for that growth. And that killed us. That hurt us big time. We had to shut down the website at points because we we're getting too many orders and it was a disaster. And you know, and you really need to start thinking ahead and planning. And it's easy for me to say, and I think most people will probably disregard what I'm saying and then get stuck on the same, have the exact same issue. And they'll be like, oh, that's what that guy was talking about. But um, you really need to plan. You really need to forecast ahead. And you, you need to stop because as a entrepreneur, you're so busy. Um, you're always chasing the next thing or you're trying to get ahead or just, just you're always going to be doing more than you can, can possibly need and you just don't have time for planning. Um, you have to. If you don't, um, you will get caught out and 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 that's what happened to us a couple of times and we learned our lesson the hard way. Um, that's probably from a business point of view. From a personal point of view, it's probably on a similar tangent, which is, you know, as as an analyst and I'm, I'm the techie, geeky guy in the in the business, it's very easy for me to have the blinkers on, focused on what I'm doing, which is why I can be good at doing what I'm doing is because I don't get distracted by the noise and I can I can, I can can work through a problem um, by focusing. But that also creates blinkers that I miss what's going on around me and I can be spending weeks on, you know, being driven to, to complete something and not missing what's actually happening in the broader business, which is where my brother comes in. So that's why it's great that I've got that um that yin and yang we've got in our business where he'll he'll pull me aside and say, what are you doing? Get your head out of the sand and have a look at what's going on around you. And it's like, I'm too busy right now, I can't. He's like, no, no, you need to stop. You need to deal with what's going on in the operation. You need to fix that and then come back to what you're doing. And, you know, it's 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 it seems so simple, but it is really hard to do. It is really hard to do when you're focused on getting things done and trying to prioritise your workload and say, well, what? You know, I guess the probably... I've gone the long way around, but the, the idea of prioritizing between the future and what you're trying to build versus fighting the fires of today. And it's really hard to work out when do you stop fighting fires and start building long-term solutions for those fires? And at what point do you just fight the fires? You know, and that, that's really hard to do when you're when you're in the details. Sometimes you really do just have to stop and fight fires till you get to a point where you can get past them and then start working on solutions to those problems. Um but other times, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate to say you might as well let the business suffer um, for a short term so that you can get that long-term solution in place. Um, and, that, and as an entrepreneur, I guess that's the hard part about taking it from a one or two-man operation where you're just doing everything and you don't need to fight any fires because you fight them yourself and you, build, you, you fix things yourself to having a business that has processes, procedures, and is running by itself. Um you know, you need to build processes and procedures and you need to fix them when they break too. So, you know, you've got to focus on the business a lot and not and not focus on fighting fires sometimes, but other times, you know, your business will go under if you don't fight those fires. So um, I've got my business partner there to kick me in the butt when I'm uh, 
when I've got the blinkers on and make sure that I'm focusing on the right, that I realize when things are, are out of control. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's, those are some great, great uh, lessons for any business to, to know as well. Now I'm going to move on to our rapid fire segment. In this segment, I'm going to ask you a few quick questions and you have to answer them maybe one one word or a sentence or so. So one book recommendation for entrepreneurs or business professionals and why? Uh, the One Minute Manager. It's a good book on managing people and managing people, different people differently. A bit what I explained earlier around some of my people work from home and some don't and some I see a lot and some I don't. That A lot of that um, understanding has come from that book. Awesome. An innovative product or idea in the current e-commerce, retail, or tech landscape that you feel excited about? Oh, well, definitely the augmented reality is going to be a, a hit, I reckon. <laughs> For sure. Sounds like a very interesting idea. Um, a product, a business or productivity tool or software that you would recommend or a productivity tool? Definitely, I reckon people have to have like a project management, task management tool. We use Asana. I know some people use Jira and other things, but uh, I think every business needs a tool like that uh, to help them manage. You know, it's really, I mean, we only got a short question, but to explain why you need it would be uh, probably another webinar. But yeah, you definitely <laughs> need it to help manage your team. And my team, since we put it in place a few years ago, it's, it's made things so much better internally for us. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. To Painful to get it off the ground because people just don't have natural use, want to use it, and change is scary sometimes internally. But oh man, people love it now. Our team loves it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so many, so many businesses use Asana. It's, it's uh, I mean, it comes up again and again. Um, a startup or a business in e-commerce, retail, or tech that you think is currently doing great things. Augmented well, reality mirror. I guess I could go back to. Um, <laughs> I think scan Another and GoTech start. is pretty cool too. Yeah, okay. Scan and GoTech, I'm a pretty big fan of Scan and GoTech as well. Okay. Uh, a peer entrepreneur or business person whom you look up to or someone who inspires you? Uh, one. There's many, I would say. Many, many. And <laughs> I, I, I like um, I like small to medium retail in my industry. There's one here in Australia called Julie Mather. She's an entrepreneur that's um, grown an eco-friendly brand and um, just keeps just keeps doing amazing things and love just seeing the journey awesome final question uh, best business advice that you ever received or you would give to other entrepreneurs definitely the best advice i've received was about personal branding um was to you know spend time focusing on your personal brand when we first started off i didn't care about, and most most people do that, 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 that build a business they're building a business they're not worried about their ego or their personal view of what people think of them and so when i started out we were the same we just wanted to kick ass and didn't really give a shit about what people thought of us or cared or didn't even care to be in the media uh, i got advice to say focus on your personal branding and build your personal brand and it's been great for my business because now i'm out there in the media talking a lot and putting my, my face out there and uh, getting in, in doing podcasts whenever i can um and that's great for business it's 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 fun you know it's fun to have a chat with you today and um it's fun to do it and it's good for business, you know, people who hear this podcast, hopefully some of them come and buy some products from me. You never know. Uh, obviously, that's not the, the, the main the main driver, but, um, you know, just just being out there as much as you can and, and shouting from the rooftops what you do and telling people about it is important for your business. Uh, and, it, and and I, I would, you know, tell entrepreneurs to forget the ego. It's, it's, 
don't worry about people thinking it's about your ego. Go and shout it from the rooftops and um, tell everyone about what you're doing. That's that's uh, such an interesting idea. I, I never thought about that because a lot of business people are kind of like they want to, they, they don't want to be the face of the business. I mean, of course, the other side of it, you know, an entrepreneur like Richard Branson, who's kind of, you know, the who leads, uh, you know, from personal branding and, and being the kind of the cheerleader of the business. But uh, but yeah, it's very, very interesting advice. Um, well, thank you, Dean. That was uh, that was awesome. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your story, for sharing, you know, how you grew your business, you know, your uh, entire e-commerce journey, challenges, successes, and so forth. So yeah, thank you so much again for joining me today at Trip Talk, and wish you all the very best. Thanks so much for chatting. Hopefully, a few awesome. people got some value.